Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I'm all jacked up for this NWO reunion. Big Kev, Scottaholic, and the leader Hollywood himself. But you know, I know you guys want pictures, autographs. I've heard the request. Get a ticket with the boys in the band. And guess what? It's for the Q&A. The first time the NWO has sat down together in 22 years and hashed it out. October 27th. We're going to be running wild Orlando. Oh, I hate that word, running wild. HulkHogan.com Because this is for Life Jack, and it's not a stinking tagline. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? You're getting married this weekend. You're getting married this weekend. You're getting married this weekend. Cool. Congratulations. Thanks, man. I'm excited to uh, host you and Dave Silva. I hope y'all don't stand me up like you did at my bachelor party. We wouldn't do that. This yeah. is the real thing. Yeah, I, I just realized that Jeff Cobb is going to be making a rare Alabama indie appearance like 30 minutes from my house this weekend. And I realized that uh, you and Dave Silva will be over there doing a meet and greet right before. Well, we could. I, I was hoping to do a dirty dozen on Friday night before the wedding, and then maybe we could do like a uh, a Mexican half dozen in the afternoon of your wedding. Maybe we could do a breakfast. Yeah, I can't wait to see all the shenanigans. I, I was told you even have tickets sold to the reception. Like you are inviting people to the reception. Supposedly, you sent a text to see if we could sneak in 12 more plates and if you could sit at your own table at the reception i i didn't guarantee them plates i just guaranteed that they would be able to park on the street where the reception was taking place i don't know what to say here what i just you know it's it's all good they're they're, they're they love us. They love you. They want to be a part of this happy, momentous day. Cool. Well, it is a happy, momentous day because today we get to talk about Rikishi. We're on the That's heels. Happy, momentous? You don't think so? Sure. Last week we talked about Carlitos. This, you know, what the hell? I'm looking forward to Rikishi. So am I. It's, it was, I was looking forward to Carlito, and, and it seemed everybody pretty much like that. Jim Cornette even had to comment on our Carlito episode. What did old uh, Corny say? Corny uh, made a comment about, well, finally you listened to me about this one, or something like that. I listen to Corny about a lot of things. Well, and everybody should listen to Corny. Uh, his drive through podcast, Corny's drive through is one of the more entertaining podcasts that I never miss every week, and you shouldn't either. But hopefully you're not going to miss all the shenanigans that are going down next weekend in Boston, man, it's right around the corner. What are you waiting for? If you haven't already pick up your tickets to go see Bruce and I at the world famous Kowloon, we're looking forward to being there. They kick less it old. than 20 tickets available. 
They kick it old school. You've got to actually give them a call to order your tickets, but they're available now. And all the information on how to place your order for those tickets is available now at BrucePritchard.com. Uh, Saga Swings, you in or you out? Oh, I'm definitely in. A lot of people were into talking about the UFC this past weekend. I don't know when we, we can really fit this in. Uh, Conor McGregor and your boy Habib, it feels like. Uh, as Jeff Jarrett would say, this was the most pro wrestling thing in the history of the UFC. What'd you think? <laughs> well, you know, they're learning. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I especially love how later on you had the alternative fan cam footage, which of what you didn't see on the line cut of the live show. And a lot of people didn't realize Conor McGregor actually tried to go over the cage as well. But he got hooked by one of the athletic commission guys. Yeah, it was that's a, on fan cam. It was an interesting situation. I didn't miss it. I'm a huge UFC fan, uh, and even Cornette said that the best wrestling angle of the year so far has happened at a UFC. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe one day we'll get to talk about what happened when Bruce watched the UFC. But uh, we hope that you make plans if you're not coming to see us in Boston that you'll come join us in Los Angeles or perhaps Winston Salem. Even across the pond in the UK, we've got shots coming up in Phoenix, Colorado Springs. Don't forget about us there in January. And I'm excited to announce our first shot in Connecticut going down on March 1st. All this information is available now at brucepritchard.com. And there's even a sale going on this weekend. I was told it's in honor of my wedding. You're discounting your t-shirts or some silly nonsense like that. Tell us about this. Everything 20% off in the store over at brucepritchard.com. You go to the merchandise and the t shirts and the fanny packs 20% off of everything. And all you got to do is use the promo code retail. Just when you check out, use the promo code retail and save 20% off of everything. It's good right now if you're listening to this on Friday, October the 12th, all the way through Monday at noon. So all the way, it's it's the Conrad wedding celebration. Use promo code retail at checkout. I was really expecting it to be nuptial or some sort of silliness. It should have been. You know, I was told that you've already got my wedding present lined up and it's what exactly I needed. It's ageless male max because you want me to have a boost to my total testosterone over my honeymoon because in your words, it's going to boost 64% of my nitric oxide. So we're talking about some extra boost when I need it, uh, in the gym, which I'm not going to, or the bedroom, which well, roll tide 30 day bottle. You can try for free. Wait a minute. That means you got my present for free. You just paid the shipping and handling. I paid the shipping and handling Conrad. And it's not just your present. It's you and your bride's present. And we're not talking. Look, I didn't skimp here. This isn't 10 days. This isn't 15 days. It is a full 30 day supply. How much did you spend? How much did you spend? How much did you spend on that? Here's what I did. I texted the word slam. Okay. You text the word slam to 79, 79, 79. Okay. That's three seventy nines. Text the word slam to get your free 30 day supply. Simple, easy. All you got to do is pay the shipping and handling. I mean, I'm, I'm looking out for both of you here. That's S L A M to 79, 79, 79. Just pay your shipping and handling. Get that 30 day bottle for free. And uh, now it's time to talk about why we're really here. Rikishi man 
I feel like he's uh, one of the unsung heroes to WWE. This dude had 9,000 gimmicks, and we're going to explain the majority of them. But uh, I think most people remember him as Fatu, and that's really his last name. Am I saying it right? Solafa Fatu Jr.? Close enough. Yeah, and, and okay, let me clear this up too, because people got on me about Car- calling uh, Carlito Carly, but that's how I knew him. So during this show, you're going to hear me refer to Junebug, and that is how I referred to Rikishi, uh, because he was the Edward, well, whatever, Salop. He was a he was a junior. Okay, so I referred to him as Junebug an awful lot. So you may hear that during during this. Uh, here podcast today. When did you first meet old June bug? God, uh, wait, when I first got into the WWF 1987, his brother Tonga kid was still there and it was confusing to me. We went out to San Francisco and Sacramento and that was the first time that I met June bug. I thought that he was Tonga kid because I, I didn't, I didn't know they were brothers and they look identical, man. They're, they're absolutely, uh, hard to tell them apart, especially when I had never met him before. And I thought they were one in the same person. So 1987 was the first time I met him. He's the brother of the late Edward Fatu, who we know as Umaga and Sam Fatu, who we know as the Tonga kid. He is the cousin of Dwayne Johnson. We know him as the rock, uh, and the late Rodney Anoa. Am I saying that right? And Hawaii. And Hawaii, that's Yokozuna, Hawaii, yes. uh, Samula and Hawaii, who is head shrinker Samu and the late Matthew and Hawaii, who is Rosie. And I think everybody knows Roman reigns, dude, can we not roll credits right now? What a fucking lineage that is. And you left out the, the patriarchs of the, of the family, which is Afa and Sika, the wild Samoans who kind of rule over this family. And, and of course the rock is detached a little bit, but he is of Samoan descent and all of the Samoans, they, they all consider themselves family, but, uh, the rock, the grandson of the great high chief, Peter Maivia. So, uh, they all kind of look to Peter as the high chief. And I don't think that anyone would debate that the leader of the Samoan family would have been the high chief, Peter Maivia. And as you would say, Junebug has seven children, including two that we see on a pretty regular basis, Jimmy and Jay Uso. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they got their trick. This is funny. This is another thing. A lot of people don't realize is, is great as the Usos are, you know, where they finished up their training when, and to me, where they really learned the art of the business. Where's that right here? Reality of wrestling Booker T's, uh, wrestling school down here. And, uh, he put the finishing touches on them and got them ready for prime time. If you will. Well, let's talk about, uh, June bug before he was ready for prime time. He, he starts wrestling in Montreal in 1985. Eventually he and Samu moved down to Puerto Rico to work for the WWC for Carlos Colon. They have a brief stint in world-class in Texas. And then they have a shot at the NWA. Paulie Dangerously is going to be their manager there. And eventually Oliver Humperdink. Talk to me about the Samoan SWAT team coming to the WWF. Well, these 
really there wasn't a whole lot of interest in them during that time when I, and I came in in 1987, but I knew Samu, my brother, Tom damn near killed Samu in 1982 or 1983 in a really horrible, uh, car crash in Atlanta, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. So I knew of the, the family and obviously of the Samoans and what have you, but, uh, they're, there wasn't a lot of interest in the, in the Samoan SWAT team. Vince, I think kind of had had his, had his fill of, of the Samoans at that, in that time frame. it was like, get, give it a rest. And he felt that nobody could really replace Jimmy Snuka and anything else would be an imitation. He wanted to give it a little bit of a rest. Let's talk a little bit about the head shrinkers. They win the world tag team championship on May 2nd, 1994, defeating the Quebecers on Monday night raw. And they lost the titles on a house show, August 28th, to Shawn Michaels and diesel. And soon after the loss, Samu was replaced by the barbarian. Uh, what led to Samu being out and barb in? It was, it was one of those, uh, I don't know if it was a flunk test or what have you, but Vince came in one day and said, uh, guys, we're going to move on with Samu and not going to book him anymore. I don't, I don't know if he had missed a shot, missed a couple of shots, but there was something that happened with Samu. I don't remember off the top of my head because we weren't told other than we're moving on and that's all we needed to know. So we started writing other things and booking other things. Barbarian was closest. It was a short-term fix. There was never any plan to continue on with those guys as, as a team beyond that. After they split, uh, June bug, as you like to call him is repackaged as make a difference. Fatu. He dropped the wild Samoan gimmick and now speaks fluent English. And he talked about, uh, in his vignettes, his real life experience of growing up in the ghetto and being hit in a drive by shooting which I believe may or may not have even left him clinically dead for a couple of minutes. That's the reason he's got that large scar on his abdomen. And he often spoke of helping the community. This feels like a Vince McMahon gimmick all day. It was, but it was also one of those that you always say, well, that was a stupid gimmick. It played off of real life. Uh, everything about that story was the truth. And Junior had been shot in a drive-by shooting. He was raised in that area where there were a lot of gangs and he did want to work with the kids and give back to the community. And this was a way to make him a star on TV. Vince was like, damn it. You know, the days of the wild Samoan savages is over. He's a well-spoken young man. He speaks English. Who the hell are we K faming? God, nobody's going to buy <laughs> silly gimmicks. Um, <clears throat> So it was, it was to try something different with him and, uh, make him a real person. Imagine that make a difference. If two didn't last all that long though, it never goes past the mid card status. Uh, why did you guys decide to drop the gimmick? <sighs> it was boring. And no, I was just really, nobody was, nobody was that interested in, in it. And while, yeah, he did speak English and he could go out and do all those things. His promos still weren't anything that were you know, emotional or intriguing that made you want to come out and see him. In 1996, he's repackaged once again, this time as the Sultan. Um, yeah, his head is shaved. He's wearing a mask. 
Uh, the ponytail is attached to the back of the mask. His tongue is supposedly cut out. So he no, we cut it out for the gimmick. We had, to, <laughs> we had to protect the gimmick. So we cut it out. We said, listen, at the end of the run, man, we'll sew it back in. But for the time being, no tongue for you. I feel like that's a rule that Jim Cornette has. Never mind. Uh, so he was managed by Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik. Whose idea is this fucking Sultan gimmick? Is this also a McMahon? This is awful. <laughs> well, looking for something for junior to do and, and thinking of different things. Vince is like, God, I can't bring him back. Is any form of a Samoan. Uh, he just got through with this abysmal run as, you know, the, the gang member and the do gooder and neighborhood watch guy. Um, if we only put a mask on him and he needs to be a foreigner, but he doesn't speak. We'll give him a mouthpiece. I know that great promo artist, Bob Backlund. <laughs> and if that isn't enough, let's put the chic with him. I achieve fat jabroni boy. Fuck someone humble you in the asafaka. That's real shit right there, man. That's that. Those are real things and, and real facts that actually transpired. That the Iron Sheik tried to fuck your ass. He knows tried to fuck ass, Baba. No, events saying, we'll put a mouthpiece with him. Backlund, it'll be great promos. And Bobby as a heel was entertaining as shit. No doubt. In my book. But it was... And then we put the chic with him. <laughs> I just think sometimes Vince will do, I don't know, man. And, and to Vince, he saw this as, as a main event attraction. He saw this as my God, people will take them seriously going for the championship because he's got two former world champions as managers. He's a big bastard. He can go. And he'll do the work and they'll get the heat. Highlight of the run has to be working for the intercontinental title at WrestleMania 13 against Rocky Malvia, but ultimately fizzles out. Doesn't have much of an impact. Uh, he comes off the air in early 1998. Thankfully, uh, after that, he remains under the contract from the WWF, but goes and trains for a while with Dory Funk jr. That's interesting to me. This is a guy who's been in the business a long time. Why is he sent down there? Well, he wasn't sent down anywhere. That, that's probably from Dave Meltzer, you know, putting that stuff in because he was in town. He was trying to get back into shape. We were looking for new gimmicks and we had him at one of our training camps, one of the Funkin' dojos for a week. He was in the area. So come on in and let's get the ring rust off of you. And let's talk about some creative things. And there were pictures put out of there out with junior and Dory funk. So that's all that was. He never went down anywhere to train with Dory. He came in for a week while we were doing a training camp. When Fatu would return at the end of September, 1999, he has bleached blonde hair and is dressed like a sumo wrestler. Not all that different from Yokozuna's attire, except no pants. Talk well, about the, the thing, what happened is when, when junior came in 
and we didn't have anything for him. We actually sent him to Memphis. So we sent him down to, to work uh, with Jerry Lawler in Memphis for a while. During the same time that Kurt Angle was working in Memphis, Steve Bradley was down there. And I would make frequent trips. And I'd sit down there, and I was watching uh, Junior, and Junior was doing something with uh, Eki uh, Umaga. And Junior's trying to sell me on Umaga and tell me, he goes, man, we got to bring my brother Eki in, and we can do this gang deal we're doing down here. And he was doing the BSK gimmick and getting a lot of heat with actual real BSK members. But they were doing that on Memphis TV and it was a constant trip where I made just about every TV down there as many as I could. And I've always been really fond of junior and trying to come up with something for him. Now in the back of my head, I knew that Vince loved the Yokozuna gimmick. Um, and I knew that Vince was looking to recreate the Yokozuna gimmick. But the one thing that Vince regretted with Yoko was that Yoko wore the, the long tights and covered up his ass. Vince wanted the ass hanging out. He wanted him in the, in the traditional uh, sumo garb. And he wanted the ass hanging out. He wanted him to be a real sumo, traditional sumo stuff. Vince says one day, he goes, you know, I'm looking at uh, the Sultan. And he goes, that ass is getting bigger every day. He says, now he could be a fucking great sumo. He could be better than Yoko because he's not as big as Yoko. And my God, it, it would it'd be great. But he's got to have those ass cheeks. And I want to see cheeks. Big, flabby, Samoan cheeks. And I, during this time, I'm, I'm going down there as a junior. Let me ask you a question. What if I just gave him the old, what if to, to see how he would react to having his bare ass exposed. And he says, he goes, man, he says, you know, I always thought Yoko should have done it that way. And, and everything he goes, fuck, I'd do that. I said, would you now? And went back said, Hey Vince, you know, he's, he's gained to do this sumo deal. Um, and he, he, no hesitation was like, yes, I'll expose my ass. That's the only way to do it. And Vince says, Hmm, he should have bleached blonde hair. And just, he, he starts describing what he should look like with bleached blonde hair. And he should have this sumo gimmick and his ass hang out. And he does an ass bump in the corner and, and man, Rikishi was born. And the next trip down, I went in and I pitched him and I told him, I said, you know, you'll need to bleach your hair blonde. He didn't, didn't flinch. He was game for it. He was looking at it as this is, this is the road to victory, man. This is going to be the one because the, the other gimmicks just, you know, for whatever reason, whether they were bad gimmicks or he didn't work it right, whatever it was, they didn't work. And I think that Rikishi was something that. It had been a while since Yoko was around. It's new and it, it's different enough. And Rikishi was born. How'd you come up with the name? Rikishi. I, I don't know exactly what it means. I know that some of our listeners will come up with it, but it's, it is a, uh, 
a sumo term. And I think um, Yokozuna is like the number one uh, sumo guy. Okay, that's where Yokozuna, the name, came from. If you were a Yokozuna, you were the, the top dog in, in sumo wrestling. And Rikishi was something like that. Rikishi was another sumo term, best of my recollection. I just called him Jubug. <laughs> well, let's talk about the um, the presentation here. You have the look figured out. When do you know we're going to do the stink face? Vince always had that in his, in his mind because of the, that ass hanging out. He saw that ass bump in the corner and Rikishi coming in and actually doing the, the, the big ass bump and then basically shoving his ass into their face. And the, the stink face was something that evolved from that. But in, in Vince's whole description of what he should look like, what he should do, everything, uh, a version of the stink face was always involved. That bare ass. This is amazing to me. What's that? Well, just that that was always Vince's plan to do the ass and the face. Uh, he starts off as Rikishi Fatu, F-A-T-U, uh, but Fatu is spelled P-H-A-T-U, uh, like uh, the slang word fat. P-H-A-T, which I guess was a thing back then. Eventually, it's dropped to just Rikishi. Now, why were you guys playing with P-H-A-T-U? Because that was fat, dog. You know, which is rapping with the times and speaking to the, to the Ute. No, I'm with you on that, but fucking Vince McMahon didn't know what that was. So who was uting oh. him up? <laughs> um, Probably me. <laughs> no, you didn't know what that was but it's hip because I'm a hip motherfucker. Yeah. So his first appearance is actually in a dark match, October 5th, 1999. He gets a win over crash Holly doing a ton of Yoko's moves. Even the bonsai drop, no pushback from Fatu over using his Ken folks moves. Uh, no. And, and you know, he got the blessing ahead of time and everybody, uh, they understood this is his opportunity to go out and do something. It's a gimmick, same thing, man, but it's like he's, it's a different version of it. So no one had a problem with him making money. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Rikishi says that, you know, he thought at first that this whole association with Grandmaster Sexay and Scotty Too Hottie might not actually be good for him. Uh, but it goes, it goes down on November 22nd. That's the first time we see them paired together and dance together. Talk to me about the idea of not only putting these guys together, but to have them dance as part of the routine as well. And, you know, of course, Brian's all for it, but Scotty was, was nervous as shit to do it. And Rikishi is the guy who suggests doing a dance but it is sort of an interesting concept that we weren't really seeing at the time. How did it come together? It was a happy accident. Put them in there together. They had chemistry. And then when Rikishi started to dance, God damn, look at him move. I love it. Look at those cheeks. Um, the audience ate it the fuck up. <laughs> 
I mean, they, they loved seeing them together, loved seeing them dance. And, uh, it was entertaining as shit. So Vince just looked at it and thought, well, goddamn, man, um, we might have something here with these three, but it wasn't planned at all. This wasn't like, Hey, I know let's put Rikishi with too cool and make him a team. No, it just happened. And then we capitalized on the reaction. If you had to sort of freestyle a guess, what do you think the, um, the upside was like, if you really had to, I've always been curious, like when you see a gimmick like this, does Vince see a gimmick like this and think, oh, this could be a main eventer. And the reason I ask is, you know, we're acknowledging that a little bit of this is patterned after Yokozuna, who was a world champion and obviously worked on top with you guys. But now when you've got him out here dancing, doesn't that sort of not smell like a main eventer on some level? Well, I think that the act was something that was going to be in the role it was in. And it was also someplace that we could also sell a lot of merchandise with, with those guys. They were over with the audience. People liked them in Vince's head. He always saw that he can spin Rikishi off and make him a main eventer anytime he wants, but just having him squish a top guy. People are going to believe that he makes his pay-per-view debut on December 12th. Uh, Bob and crash Holly would beat uh, Rikishi and viscera in four minutes and 23 seconds. Um, Meltzer says it was an awful, awful match, gave it a negative star. And he wrote, uh, it would have been much better to have them all turn on Rikishi together to allow too cool to make the save and have them dance at the end. Because quite frankly, the only reason fans pop for Fatu is the ending dance. And I guess on some level, that's right. I mean, the dance was more over than his matches, right? No, I don't think so at all. I think that he was doing great work during that time. And he was an attraction. The, you know, one match, which is a stinker because guys don't gel. And I don't know what the hell anybody was thinking with that match, but, uh, wasn't good booking to begin with. Towards the end of the year, he does get a couple of big shots on TV uh, he's working with Kurt Angle, but loses to Kurt on December 28th on SmackDown. On January 4th, he finds himself challenging for the world title. Of course, he gets a win over Triple H, but by DQ, so the belt doesn't change hands. And a couple of weeks after that, on the 17th, he's working with Chris Jericho for the Intercontinental title, and uh, he gets a win there, but by DQ. So again, the belts don't change hands, but certainly a featured spot. That takes us to Royal Rumble 2000, which went down in Madison Square Garden on the 23rd. And he's in the rumble. It comes in at number five and, uh, yeah, great showing and too cool gets to do the dance routine. And then Rikishi clotheslines them both and throws them out the next night on raw. He's teaming with the rock to beat the big show and triple H by DQ. And then goes to a no contest with the rock on SmackDown. So. What happens here where all of a sudden we see him in a very featured spot? Is it just the way the crowd is reacting to the dance and you guys are sort of just trying new things? Chat me up. Why does he find himself after being a bit of a journeyman for you guys in this prime spot? Well, I think it was a lot to do with the gimmick. He was working the gimmick. Well, people were getting into it. They liked the dancing. They liked him. And this was a gimmick that he was comfortable in. So Rikishi now is comfortable in a gimmick and he he's digging it. He's doing it and people are believing it. So it was, it was working and 
in Vince's head, he was always looking for him to be in a top spot. It is interesting because, you know, he's not only working with some top guys here, but he's having some really big moments. So like on SmackDown on February 1st, Rikishi would beat the big show by DQ. But what's most notable about this is in the match, Rikishi becomes the first man to ever kick out of big shows, choke slam in the WWF fast forward a few days. And on raw, he's teaming with too cool, the rock and cactus Jack against triple H Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. So he's in really, really prime territory as we build towards no way out, which goes down on February 27th in Hartford. We see Too Cool and Fatu defeat Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko. I want to run through that again. Too Cool and Fatu beat Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko. And Rikishi hits Eddie Guerrero in the bad elbow with the pipe, uh, which was being brought in by Guerrero. Um, three stars here. And this is one of the first times we saw the radicals all together. And Too Cool beats them. Defend this shit. Why wouldn't they beat him? My God, you've got a sumo and you've got Brian Christopher and Scotty too hottie. Defend that shit. Why wouldn't they go over? Well, they did. They had a hell of a match and, uh, made sense to me, especially since they're from WCW. Let's just beat the fuck out of them. You damn right. Fuck WCW fucking loser company out of business and was the drizzling shits. They weren't out of business here. Yeah. Well, they, okay. Are they in business now? They've been in business in the last 17 years? No. Well, you're not either. Sure I am. We're in business right now. <laughs> it's just funny that you just, you know, I'll spend anything. God well, damn I, it. I find it funny that you think that because you got, uh, guys, you got Chris Benoit who went on to become a world champion, Eddie Guerrero, who went on to become a world champion, but yet all you did was beat him. No, I'm just saying that's just fucking bullshit narrative. That, that's not what I said. Dickhead. I'm just saying on, on their first featured spot in. You can't wait to fucking beat them, which was what you guys did routinely. No, it wasn't their first featured spot in. They did a fucking run in on TV and this is their first pay-per-view and you're beating them. Yeah. Just like when you had, you did it to Ray. That was and, the story behind them coming in and fighting the odds by getting beat and having to fight an uphill battle. He comes in the goddamn world champion. Now he's getting beat by Scotty too hottie, Brian Christopher and fucking Rikishi. So they can do their butthole dance. Oh uh, yeah. I don't think we beat Benoit. <laughs> You're right. You beat Malenko. Okay. Well, there you go. The next night Rikishi beats Kurt angle by count out. Um, put one of them thousand one holds on him. Maybe he wouldn't got beat. Let's talk about the stink face for a minute. Any pushback from anybody on taking the stink face? I mean, he's even been open about saying that he would oftentimes carry like three sets of gear, a good clean set. And eh, set and then some awful shit, man, that nobody wants. There, you know, there were guys sometimes that would hem and haw, oh man, I don't want to fucking take the stink face. And but when top guys were doing it, man, it's hard to argue. Yeah. Would you have taken the stink face? Sure would have. So they asked me to take it. It was my role. I would take it. Definitely. How, how would you have negotiated the clean drawers? I'd have been real nice to up until that point. Just, just saying, I, I'd have like made sure that he had some extra food and drink and whatever it is that he needed. Uh, 
he's in a handicap match on March 9th against big show and triple H, but the rock comes out and helps Rikishi. They give the stink face to triple H and big show after the match. And then of course, too cool and Rikishi dance. So that means on raw triple H has to beat him. Uh, that happens immediately because you know, that's what we do in 2000. Uh, is, is that what we do? I thought we, we beat him. I don't know how many times in your list of shit. We beat triple H all those other times. So he gets one win back and no, no, no. I'm just saying whenever somebody starts to get over, we got to pedigree the fuck out of them clean in the middle. Oh, and that just killed his career right there. Well, you know, I mean, Rob, no, I do. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. He starts working a lot of house shows with big boss man during this time. And he's still teaming with too cool, pretty routinely. Uh, and then we're going to start building towards WrestleMania 2000, or I guess it's 16, whatever you'd prefer. It goes down on April 2nd, in Anaheim, California, the exact same building that we had WrestleMania 12 in back in 1996. We've got Kane and Fatu going over road dog and X-Pac in four minutes and 16 seconds. I mean, that's sort of right. This match was basically rushed, I guess, so they could hurry up and do their Pete Rose joke. Uh, pretty much before it built to anything, Rikishi rubbed his butt in Tori's face and Kane pinned X-Pac after a tombstone. And of course, after the match, this is where we saw the Pete Rose gimmick. Uh, we know what's going to happen here. Uh, too cool. And Rikishi are dancing. Kane is watching. Kane goes after the chicken. <laughs> this is, uh. This is really going to happen. Rikishi rubs his butt nowhere near the approximate vicinity of Pete Rose's face. I got to hear how you guys pitch Pete Rose on taking the stink face. Well, rewind back to Boston when Pete first came out and did the whole Bill Buckner joke and Boston Reg Sox stuff. When Pete went up and did the tombstone with Kane and we had him get up and showed him how to do it. And he's looking down there. He says, so do I give him a blow job when my head is down there in his crotch? So that's kind of how we pitched this one. Say, Hey, you don't have to give him a blow job, but get it. But you get his butt in your face and he does this little thing. Pete was on board, but you know, Pete being Pete, um, and being willing to do anything. I think junior just looked to take extra special good care of him and not, not hurt him or, or do anything else. But Pete Rose, man, was a great sport and was pretty much willing to do just about anything. Speaking of good sports, yeah. go ahead. No, and, and I was going to say to, to Meltzer's smart-ass comments about, you know, we had to rush to get to the Pete Rose shit, that was the one thing that made it on Sports Center and was all over the country in, in the highlight reel. So, yeah, we sure as hell did want to get the Pete Rose spot in. April 13th, Rikishi would beat Guerrero by DQ in a European title match when China gives him the low blow. Uh, and then of course we know what's coming. Rikishi does the bonsai on China after the match. It's just amazing to me that the majority of what we're talking about is going to be butt stuff. Well, that's, it's his gimmick. <laughs> it's his gimmicks, but <laughs> he got big, butt. big show gets in on some of this butthole action. Uh, he's teaming with, uh, Rikishi on May 1st against edge and Christian and big show dresses up like Rikishi and is called show Kishi. And you know, what's coming. Uh, he and Rikishi both deliver stink faces. Chat me up about show Kishi. That's good shit, man. 
Fucking Shokishi, Rikishi, Shokishi. And Big Show didn't have a problem showing his ass either, man. You know, that's another one who was always a good sport and willing to do just about anything that he was ever asked to do. Uh, it's a fun little gimmick and a way to get Big Show's personality out there in his ass, too. Get it? His personality in his ass. But it was nice little, uh, nice little pairing for a while. It feels like something you would make in WWE 2K19, which is available now, but they've just got, you know, so many different playable superstars and you can create custom superstars. Shokishi feels like a hodgepodge thing that we just made up, but it actually happened and you can play as big show or any of your favorite superstars, legends, hall of famers, even your NXT favorites, guys like Seth Rollins, Braun Strowman, the rock, even Andre, the giant, and so many more, more than 200 characters in total. So the amount of dream matches you can create is basically unlimited. And the all new towers mode is a new way to play. It's got a gauntlet of matches that are going to boost all these panic inducing challenges, these incredible stipulations, some new mind blowing rule changes and dynamic difficulty all presented in a way you've never before seen go down inside of WWE 2k. It's 2k 19. Hook it up right now. You can enjoy some of these high stakes matches, talk smack to your opponents, even shape your, my player's career. All as you strategize your way towards the WWE glory in your career path here. This is a fun deal. All of my friends are playing this and you should be too. They've even got an original story voiced by WWE superstars. It's the best my career experience yet, but don't take our word for it. Head on over to WWE.2K.com and purchase your copy today. Bruce, I just got my copy this week. Uh, if you don't have yours yet, pick it up right now. It's WWE.2K.com. I got the Ric Flair edition. I'm fired up about that. Have you seen this? Of course one? you did. It's great. Yeah. It's got uh, a Funko pop in there that, and I'm not a big Funko guy, but this is the coolest one ever. It's got gold it's chains. Ric Flair. It's got gold <laughs> chains around his necklace. Uh, it's got, uh, the alligator shoes. He's got, uh, two rings on, including a pinky ring. He's got a Rolex on. He's got the sunglasses. It's awesome. And you even get a, uh, replica hall of fame ring. This just, it's the coolest little gift you can possibly get or give. I know a lot of people are going to start thinking about the holidays before you know it. If you're looking for something cool to get somebody this game, if you're a wrestling fan, this is the coolest. Is it not? Yes, it is. And all you got to do is go over to WWE.2K.com to get your copy today and check out. There's a little spot. Have you seen the spot where they steal from us with the macho man? No, no. Let me mention they didn't steal. That's AJ Kirsch, who is a super fan of the show who is going out of his way to put us over with the rumor and innuendo first name, macho last name, Best man. Name man. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Read the boots, brother. Uh, oh, freak out, freak out. It's great, man. Well, I, I don't count it. You know, here's what I need though. I don't know if you've seen this. People are already making me and you and letting us fight inside the game. Well, good. Cause I want you in a cage match and you can do that. And that's the beauty of this game. Yeah, you can even make a Shokishi if you want to. Well, uh, you know. So Big Show as Shokishi and Rikishi Fatu get a win over the Dudleys at the Insurrection pay-per-view. But the next thing is maybe one of my favorite things. It's one of the things you've talked about here on the show a lot. It's Raw on May the 8th. We've got Rikishi versus Pat Patterson. And uh, DX winds up teaming with Pat Patterson. And Rikishi 
Um, he is victim to Pat Patterson's stink face and Pat Patterson has a giant brown spot on his underwear. And you have often joked that there was a, a little rule of thumb. Anytime Pat Patterson showed his underwear. That's how you, you, you put your underwear on that way. You know, it's, it's yellow in the front, brown in the back at a base. And it was for Pat. That mine wasn't a, wasn't a stink face. It was a stinky ass. That's what it was. It's amazing to me. This is a real thing. Yeah. We had to put the right, you had to put the right yellow stain on the front and not too much Brown in the back. You didn't want it to be overkill. Well, we keep it, bring it down, pal. We keep it going on May 11th when it's too cool and Rikishi taking on DX in an elimination match. Eventually Rikishi pins two guys in a singles match with triple H and Patterson camp comes out holding his stained underwear, trying to rub them in Rikishi's face, but he gets the underwear and shoves them in triple H's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Shitty deal. It's amazing. This is a real thing. Judgment day goes down on May 21st, Louisville, Kentucky. By two and two cool here are going to take on edge and Christian and Kurt angle. They go nine minutes and 46 seconds. And believe it or not, Too Cool and Rikishi get the win in a two and one quarter star match. Um, there is speculation that maybe the finish didn't happen exactly as we would have wanted to. Um, Meltzer would even write, it was very strange because Edge clearly kicked out and everyone seemed unhappy when the three went down. Was this the plan? It does feel a little off that on pay-per-view, Fatu and Too Cool would get a win over edge Christian and Kurt angle. Well, here's the rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is, is if it happens on live TV, then it was meant to happen. And that's exactly what we wanted to happen. Well, the next night you guys do a rematch and the opposite happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of, you know why? Cause it was live and that's what we wanted to happen. It's amazing. That's, that's exactly what we meant to do the next night. The opposite happened. That's right. That's what we wanted to do. Keep you guessing, keep you on your tippy toes, wondering what they going to do next. On May 29th, we see something interesting. We get Joe C who's associated with kid rock come out with Rikishi and too cool. And all of them dance, uh, chat me up about Joe C and Rikishi. This feels like there's a fun story in there somewhere. My name is Joe C two foot nine with the eight foot dick. Something like that. <laughs> It was close. And you're the guy who told Vince McMahon about fat, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm hip on all that stuff. Me and the Rocky kid were good friends and shit. You know, Bobby. I just call him Bobby. <laughs> you know, Kid Rock, Bobby. Uh, I, I've, I've told the story about uh, the Rock and Joe C before. Uh, because for those who don't know, Joe C was with Kid Rock, and he was probably about three foot three foot four or something like that. Very small, but he looked like a child. He looked like an eight year old. So Josie has an extremely foul mouth on him. Uh, did a lot of drugs, smoked a lot of pot and just was filthy as any 50 dirty year old man, a dirty year old man. Um, and rock is in the back and he sees him and he thinks that he's like a, a make a wish kid or something. 
So Rock is talking to me. Hey, buddy, how you doing? How's it going? Hey, man, you enjoying the matches? You having a good time, little buddy? And Josie is like, yeah, man, we're having a fucking great time. This shit's fucking rad, man. We're going to fucking go down and do this. Hey, man, you want to go take a hit off this fucking thing? Every other word's fucking. Rock looks at him, fucking eyes wide as she goes, hey, little buddy, that's some mouth you have on you there. And, and starts chastising Josie for his language. Maybe get the fuck off me, man. And he didn't realize who Josie was and that he was this foul-mouthed little motherfucker that uh, did a lot of drugs. But Josie was always fun to have around because he he loved the business so much. He if there was, I wish that people you know and he had his health issues. But I wish that people that are healthy that that are around stuff that they love enjoy the time they have and take it because Josie enjoyed every fucking second of his life. He made the most out. He loved being around the business. He loved doing his shit, and and he lived life to the fullest. So in his in his young life, man, he lived more than a lot of ninety year olds I know. June nineteenth, we get a King of the Ring first round match here. Rikishi beats Scotty Too Hotty with the bonsai drop, and then afterwards, Val Venus would attack Rikishi. Chat me up. Why did it make sense to put Rikishi against Scotty Too Hotty here? You got to squish them little bastards. So people don't want you to get back together on June 22nd. Believe it or not, this is real. Rikishi beat Chris Benoit clean to become the intercontinental champion. And then too cool. And Rikishi celebrate Benoit is going to hit all three with chair shots and then put Rikishi in the crossface. Why put Rikishi over Benoit and give him the intercontinental title. You didn't often see guys this big becoming the intercontinental champion. It's always sort of been known as the worker's belt and there's no bigger worker than Chris Benoit here. How did we get to this decision? Well, first of all, I think that, that Rikishi is one of the greatest workers that ever was, man. He, he was a tremendous worker and it was believable. Just looking to do a little something different and get Rikishi a good win here. But the guys loved working with Rikishi. He could work with anybody and everybody. He was solid and people believed in the big bastard. Go to the King of the Ring pay-per-view on June 25th in Boston. Rikishi gets a win over Chris Benoit in round one. and the semis, he gets a win over Val Venus. So Rikishi is on a run here. Both matches got a dud rating. Uh, and then finally, Angle would beat Rikishi with a belly-to-belly suplex. Meltzer would say, very disappointing finale, star and three quarters. Looking back... Was it a mistake to feature Rikishi here in the King of the Ring? No, it wasn't. And and fuck Dave Meltzer and his dud ratings and his. I remember that match because it was something that uh, Kurt Angle and Rikishi had done in Memphis. They had worked a program there and were having great matches. And Kurt and Junior had great chemistry and had good matches. And that was a hell of a match. So it was a way to get Kurt over. And keep Junior good, and he was an intercontinental champion, but it was, I thought it was a hell of a match and a hell of a series. Serious business. Other than The Rock with the people's elbow and the promos and all that, is there anything in the company more over than Too Cool Dancing? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I mean, Austin, I, he's look, not there. I, there were, there were the guy, you know, there were the top guys that were over, but yeah, as far as the dancing and getting that big pop and this was a time it was audience participation. Yeah. 
and it was their time to really pop and kind of get into the dancing. So it was, it was a great act. Uh, there was a, a moment in the July 3rd episode of raw where Rikishi's working with triple H. They're going to go to a double count out and Jr. refers to Rikishi as the Sultan of SWAT, which is Babe Ruth's old nickname, but <laughs> it's hilarious to me because Rikishi was the former Sultan. Jr. couldn't help himself a little tongue in cheek there and probably deliver like, huh? Hey, Rikishi, he's the Sultan <laughs> of SWAT. Y'all get that? The Sultan of Swall. Probably something. something delivery. Fasso Fasso July 6th, just a couple of days later, Val Venus is going to beat Rikishi to become the Intercontinental Champion when Taz hits Rikishi with a television camera and then he gets the money shot. Uh, TNA interfere, but uh, Too Cool makes the save. So pretty short reign for Rikishi. I assume he's a transitional champ just to get the belt on Val. You guys maybe didn't want Val beating, uh, Chris Benoit. You know, it was, it was just an experimental time of doing some different things. I wanted to give Rikishi a little rub here, make him a champion and, and move on. Can't take that away from him. You know, we've talked a lot about TV guide here and what a big deal it is to be featured on the cover of TV guide. And when Austin and undertaker first get those opportunities, I mean, that's a really big deal. Well, in July, TV Guide is back to do a four cover shoot with WWF superstars. They've got Kurt Angle on one cover. They've got Chris Jericho on another cover. Rikishi is on a third and the fourth has cat. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, who, what, why? I like vanilla. Seriously. The cat is. Were one of the dups working at TV guy. How does this happen? Well, she was over. I mean, she was a beautiful girl. Uh, wanted a female on there as well, but so not what, but cat. Why not cat? She was prominently featured in our show. People are going, going through a TV guide. If you want the male audience, I'd pick up the cat. Okay. Fully. Loaded. Well, I mean, why not? I said, okay. Fine. Fully loaded 2000. This is a big match for Rikishi. He's going to be working with Val Venus and they're inside a cage. And I think what everybody remembers here is Rikishi climbs to the top of the cage and teases it for a while. And then eventually comes off the top of the cage with a splash. Meltzer would write that was one scary looking spot because you're talking about a 400 pound man doing the same spot of 240 pound Jimmy Snuka gave Jeff Jarrett a concussion doing the ring may have broken or was at least damaged because some of the bumps later in the show had a clanging sound to them. The best sign of the night was TNA Bradshaw and Rikishi as Rikishi was going to leave. Taz came out and hit him with a television camera and Val got the pin two and three quarter stars. This has to be the career highlight for Rikishi so far, right? I mean, People talk about this Jimmy Superfly snook a leap off the cage decades later, and now you've got a 400 pound motherfucker doing it. Yeah, no shit. And the sad thing about it is, is not enough people talk about this bump and this splash. It was impressive as hell for Junior to get up and do it. Now, Junior used to always do the, the big uh, splash, Simone splash, 
in his matches when he was junior Fatu and also with the Samoan SWAT team and those guys. But he had put on a lot of weight. And to get up there and do that, it was just an impressive deal. And I think that people forget about it. And I forgot about it until we got to this episode. But it's one of those things that is impressive as shit. If you want to go back and watch something, a real athletic big bastard, an athletic big man do it, it was pretty cool. Well, you know, we're putting over Rikishi. Let's give a lot of credit to Val Venus for taking this shit. No kidding. I mean, (laughs) seriously, he's never done this before. And he's clearly throwing caution to the wind to lay there and take that. If you're Val, besides just closing your eyes and, and hoping it hurts less, if you don't see it coming, what the fuck do you do to try to protect yourself with a 400 pound guy flying at you off the top of the cage? If you're not religious, then you find religion pretty damn fast <laughs> and you say, please protect me. But it was a trust issue. And I know that Val trusted Rikishi to do that move safely. He had done it before and had never hurt anyone. So it just came down to trust. And it, and it was Val's call 100% as far as whether or not he was comfortable taking it. But, uh, Well, one wrong move, just one being off a little bit and you get a knee in the chest or in the ribs and and you're done. Rikishi, of course, has said that he hurt his knees and elbows on this jump. And I don't know how it couldn't, uh, on August 24th, Rikishi would beat Godfather. And then the two hoes were with Rikishi and too cool. And they all danced together after the match. Where do you find dancing hoes on short notice? Oh, uh, dancing hoes are us. It's. Right there in the, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. So we had to go to the green pages. I got you. I understand. Uh, let's go to SummerSlam, August 27th, Raleigh, North Carolina. We got the right to censor going over to cool and Rikishi here. Not much to the match. According to Meltzer only gets one star. You know, even though we like to poke fun at right to censor, those guys had some real heat and against too cool. One of the more popular acts, people love to see them dance. This is natural booking here, is it not? It was. It was easy. And the right to censor was something off of a real life uh, parent TV council, something like that, that was giving us a hard time and trying to get people to boycott the show and writing letters to every newspaper in the country talking about what a horrible, horrible product and presentation the WWF was. So we created characters around them. As we fast forward to September 11th, Rikishi would come out and beat up Guerrero and he was about to give him the stink face when China hit Rikishi with the belt. Uh, as we go forward a few days to SmackDown that same week, Undertaker and Rikishi would beat Chris Benoit and Kane when Kane walked out on Benoit and just left him to be pinned in a street fight. After the match ended, the Undertaker disappears and Rikishi and two cool dance. Hypothetically, with all the fun you guys like to have on house shows, did anybody ever try to get the undertaker to join these guys dancing? Yeah, we tried to get him that night and he just, he did the duck out and gone. It was just literally a flat back bump, roll out of the ring, got to go. And he was out before anybody could, could get him in the middle of it. Uh, But they all, they set up, they were planning to get him in the middle and Give him just do a little taker jigabug, taker jig, jitterbug, not a jigger bug, a jitterbug. Easy for you to say. 
Yeah. Unforgiven 2000, September 24th in Philadelphia. Uh, Eddie would beat Rikishi by DQ. So he keeps the intercontinental title. Uh, China is heavily involved here. Um, chat me up here. Rikishi and China. It feels like they had a ton of interaction. What was it about them that Vince liked to see paired together? Well, I, pretty much it was probably just the luck of the draw more than anything, but it was also the, the dynamic of getting that stink face on China when she was a heel. Um, I don't know. It's just, there were certain people that had that chemistry and China and Rikishi had chemistry. No one had chemistry like China and Eddie Guerrero. I mean, fuck me. That was tremendous. Made both of their careers at that point, take it to the next level. But, uh, just kind of happened that way. Listen up wrestling fan. You like comics? Well, go support the new rowdy Roddy Piper kill the Avenger on Indiegogo. It's a new comic book drawn by our man, Eric Hodson, and it's written by Dominic Reggio of mess bucket comics officially licensed and will be distributed by pro wrestling tees. Now the story is going to center around Roddy. He's a talk show host by day and a superhero by night. His wife, Kitty is involved. So there's going to be some guest appearances and Easter eggs. And this book is by Piper fans for Piper fans. So go to kiltedavenger.com. That's kiltedavenger.com or look up Roddy's name on Indiegogo. Heck, you can even be drawn in the book yourself if you act fast. So go ahead, pull up Indiegogo.com right now and look up Roddy Piper or check out KiltedAvenger.com to help make this book become a reality. If you love the hot rod, you're going to love this book. Check it out right now. Support our friend Eric and check out KiltedAvenger.com. Let's fast forward here. Uh, we've got October 9th circled because this is, uh, well, I guess we should give you the backstory. Steve Austin has been gone for almost a year because of neck surgery. And you know, the story, they hit that motherfucker with a car because he's bald and has a goatee. Right. And it happened at survivor series, 1999. And it was never revealed who was the driver. So when Austin finally comes back from this next surgery here in October, it's a natural storyline to figure out who hit him with the car. Uh, I guess we should probably mention the backstory here. Austin was seriously injured with a neck injury at SummerSlam 97. This is where his neck trouble started. It obviously got to a point where it wasn't workable, but it happened at a pay-per-view and it happens right around the same time that Russo's out. You've got new writers coming in and we have to create a reason sort of on the fly as to why or how this would happen. So let's talk about this night of raw here, October, 2000 rock and Rikishi beat Kane and angle. They go seven minutes and 23 seconds. Um, angle gets a rock bottom and then Rikishi sits on him for the pin. And then Mick Foley, who is the acting commissioner comes out and teases like he's going to finger the rock as the culprit who hit that motherfucker with a car. But at the last minute says rock wasn't guilty and said it was Rikishi because earlier Scotty too hottie had talked about partying with Rikishi in Detroit that night. And Foley said how Rikishi wasn't even in the WWF at the time. He technically was, but he wasn't doing the Rikishi character on TV. 
Rikishi admitted it and said he did it on his own to help the rock because the WWF never let the Islanders headline and the stars were always great white hopes like Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, and now Steve Austin. And by getting rid of Austin, it gave the rock an opportunity to be the top star. And the Island boys were never allowed to be big stars, but the explanation and the way he explained why did it is maybe the thing I remember Rikishi for the most. Yeah, this is, this is a prime example of what happens when you don't start with the finish. What I mean by that is when you write a book or you go to a movie, no matter what it is, if you're creating it, the ending in mind, you have to know, okay, this is how we're going to end this son of a bitch, because everything we do from beginning to the, the middle and the end gets to the big finish. When they ran Steve over, they had no clue other than to get rid of Steve. We'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> and along the way, man, when it got there to, we can go back to who ran him over with car. Everybody had an idea. And I think that it was, God, was it Michael? I don't even remember who the hell came up with. What about Rikishi? And Vince just loved it because no one will guess that. And I'm like, of course, no one is going to guess that because it makes no sense for Rikishi to be the guy to run over Austin. And then just we force fed this, this whole, you know, storyline. I did it for the rock. Not a bright spot in our creative tenure during this time, because we were just trying to put like uh, square pegs in round holes. How disappointed do you think the fans were when it was Rikishi? Good God. I, I seriously recall a groan. Yep. There, there was a, you, you can feel the air come out of a building sometimes. And it was kind of like a, you're, oh my God. Oh my God. They're going to tell us who did it. Huh? And then they're waiting, they're waiting for, come on, come on, come on. Who's it? Who is it really? And it never came. Yeah. Not a, you know, and, and I was involved in it and, and tried, <laughs> I mean, it, it sucked. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't something, wasn't one of our brighter spots, but we kind of, we went with it. Who else was considered that you remember? Can I freestyle two guesses? Pra practically everybody on the roster was considered. To me, it would have been an opportunity to do something with Billy Gunn. Who you guys had tried to do some stop and start, or maybe even Chris Jericho. But Rikishi. The problem was when you take Vince out of the equation, um, which would have been the predictable thing. And you take the, the top guys out of the equation. It was an opportunity. This is an opportunity to make a new star. This is an opportunity to make somebody and bring them in and come in and have awesome work with them right away. Um, that's how Vince looked at it. And that was a charge. So we, we didn't have the usual suspects to work with. We, everybody on the roster was considered, considered and debated, but 
it came down to give us somebody new, give me a new story, give me something different. And this was new and different. Meltz would write, the choice of Rikishi was certainly controversial as they didn't elevate a young guy when they had the chance and overtly played the race card, which left the show with a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. The idea was it was a good idea because nobody suspected Rikishi, so people were fooled. And that's this sort of logic Russo would use. The reason nobody suspected Rikishi is that it wouldn't have the impact as if it were a Michaels or events or even a Jericho and people wanted impact. Lots of people were talking about it after it was over, however. And a few days after this, I guess we should mention Rikishi teamed with triple H on house shows a few times to beat Kane and Kurt Angle. And then on October 16th, a week later, Kishi does an interview with coachman and he's saying all the racial things and bringing up that the rock was family. And he felt deep down that he did what was right. Yeah. Throughout both of their careers though, it had never been mentioned that they were any kind of relation blood or not. So I did it for the rock here has been parodied for a long time. And I don't know if it's necessarily, uh, the glowing moment you guys had in mind. No, it really wasn't. It, it was in hindsight. I almost wish we hadn't had a review. If you didn't have a big name player and something that was going to be riveting, I would have rather just left it a mystery. Yeah. And you could have revealed later that it was Hulk Hogan or the NWO or Goldberg or whatever. But yeah, but again, to defend it. And when you're in a, in a creative process and you have a, a certain amount of talent to work with and you're given a, a charge, you do what you can. And, uh, people that don't work in creative and have the privilege of hindsight and looking back on situations without actually having to create it out of thin air. Um, it's easy to criticize and say, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? But when you're stuck with it right in front of you and you have to do something and everything that you throw out is nope, 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 nope. Finally, you're throwing everything out until finally, well, that's interesting. And you make it work because you're doing what you have in front of you that day. It's your, your usually, uh, and this was at the 11th hour too. You know, this is coming up with it on a Sunday and shit for a raw Monday. And just, man, we're, we're going live in 24 hours. Let's get this done. Let's come up with something and you got to make a choice and you go with it. Good or bad. Austin does a promo about Rikishi and eventually Rikishi challenges Austin to come to the parking lot. He does. And then Rikishi tries to hit that motherfucker with a car, but Austin dives out of the way. So Rikishi drives off, uh, a few days later, Rikishi uses a sledgehammer to destroy Austin's truck. And he's doing an interview with Jr. when coachman runs in telling him Rikishi is destroying the truck. He comes out to see his truck all beat to shit and a car speeding off. And as he drives after the car in a ruined truck, Rikishi then attacks Jr. as Rikishi had an accomplice in all of this. And, uh, Rikishi decks Jr. and is about to hit him with a sledgehammer when Mick Foley makes the save. So as a reminder, you guys have taken one of the most over baby faces you have. People just love this motherfucker dancing. And now he's a monster heel overnight. 
Yeah. Bigger the baby face, the bigger the heel. Oh, that worked. Okay. So this was successful. Thank Did you. You say he was a monster heel. Well, he is a monster. He's 400 pounds and he's a bad guy. I didn't say he was over as a heel. Uh, I just said he was a monster heel. He is a monster heel. Monster heels. Good heel. So you're defending this. You think this was the right call, right? Vince? No, I don't think it was the right call in hindsight. However, at the time it was the only call and it's one we had to work with. In uh, hindsight, no, I think it sucks, but we didn't have that privilege at that time to know what the hell it was going to turn out like. Later that show, do it. JR interviews the rock about Rikishi and rock says he's mad at Rikishi and he's mad that he thought he would have needed help to get to the top and mad that it somehow tainted his getting to the top, pointing out that he'd held the title several times when Austin was actually around. It's kind of fun that he's mad that Rikishi's using the race card saying he's been against that his entire life, except maybe when he was in the nation of domination, but those are details. Um, he talks about how he's been on the phone with Austin about the whole thing and they're cool with each other. So the rock is careful to make sure that it's not none of the stink from this angle is getting on him. Uh, and they even change Rikishi's theme music around this time. And it totally eliminates anything that anybody liked about the character. Chat me up about his new bad man. I'm a bad man. Theme music. Oh, he didn't want anybody dancing to a goddamn heel coming out with, with his old too cool music. So we wanted to eliminate the possibility of that by changing it up and making nobody want to cheer for him. Be pissed off at the music. Be pissed off at him. Give him more things to be pissed off about. Let's go to No Mercy in Albany, New York, October 22nd. Austin and Rikishi go to a no decision and what was billed as a no holds barred match in nine minutes and 21 seconds. And they showed... Rikishi with a sledgehammer stalking the entranceway, waiting for Austin. And eventually he drives his truck to the ring. They have a fast paced brawl. Uh, they're all over the place. And eventually, uh, Austin hits Rikishi with several chair shots and he juices. Uh, Austin's destroying him with chairs, smashing him with the tailgate. Uh, eventually a bunch of police officers show up because well, <laughs> Austin deposited Rikishi in the back of his truck, drove out of the building, drinking a beer while he's driving, which maybe wasn't the best idea. And then he puts him on the ground and prepares to run him over when a police car blocks the attempted murder. And, uh, then Austin smashes into their car, not once, but twice. So he's arrested and, uh, the officer in the car was taken out on a stretcher and they talked about Austin being in real trouble because he had injured a police officer in his attempt to kill Rikishi. He wasn't going to kill him. He's just going to run him over real bad. Make him hurt. Two and a quarter stars. Actually, you know what? Going back on that match, that match wasn't bad, especially for Steve just coming back. It was just a brawl. The finish. It was just a fight. No, listen, I like the fight, but the finish. What the fuck? What? We're drinking and driving and going to murder a guy? Well, okay. Well, that's why the cops came and they stopped it. Thank God. Thank God for the police. Yeah. They don't have another pay per view match after this, they have one more match on Raw. And then it just fucking goes away. Chat me up. 
Why did you got, I mean, we're attempting murder. I think the people, well, I'm, technically, I guess they're always attempting murder, but, uh, by the way, it just didn't work, man. The Yokozuna was so upset about this that he passed away the next day. That's just rude. No, he did. He passed away the very next day. I understand that, but it, it was, it was just, a. It was something they tried, didn't work. <laughs> Thank God Vince realized quickly it didn't work. Move on, cut bait. So yeah, and unfortunately, you know Rodney passed away on October twenty third, and uh, very sad time, man. It was the drizzling shits. The next night on Raw, the show opened with Rikishi coming out saying he's going to support The Rock and regaining the title. And he's uh, trying to help the rock the previous night rock comes out, starts insulting Rikishi, And he seemed almost ready to cry as rock was disowning him as a family member. Rock even tells him to get lost. And, uh, Rikishi tells the rock, he's going to continue to help him until rock finally gives him a rock bottom. And a few days later on SmackDown, Austin does an interview saying he accidentally hit the gas and he meant to hit the brakes. And now he's challenging Rikishi to a cage match on raw later in the show. We would see Rikishi destroy too cool with a bonsai on both guys. And then he challenged Austin to come out. And when he did a mystery guy attacked Austin, who's covered in blood now bleeding like a stuck pig. Eventually too cool makes the save and to show his appreciation. Austin hits grandmaster sex a with a stunner of his own. On October 30th, Austin finally beat Rikishi at five minutes and 12 seconds in a cage match. Uh, he beat him with a stunner right in the middle and Rikishi's bleeding here from having the door slammed on his head. And later in the show during the rock versus Jericho, number one contender match, Rikishi comes out and Jericho hits the lion salt, but Rikishi had knocked out the second ref. Finally, the first ref recovered, but rock kicked out and eventually he gets the clean pin with the rock bottom. And after the match, Rikishi turns on the rock and leaves him laying, even sits on him. And while the rock is down, Rikishi revealed that he lied and that rock all along was involved in running over Austin. And in fact, gave him the keys to the car boy. At this point, you guys are just trying to grab at anything, trying to make him care. And it was just so much shit being thrown at the wall. And it was again, you every week. <laughs> this is what you got to work with. Make it work on SmackDown. Rikishi came out and talked about the rock, begging him to run Austin over. And then angle came out and tried to talk the rock out of the title match later in the show. And, uh, well, chaos ensues. There's going to be a DQ here when Jericho beats Rikishi, but Kane interferes and choke slams Jericho. This is very, very confusing here because there's so much going on. At this point, can the writers even keep up with the storyline? Sure, we can. Yes, again, you're you're the the issue becomes you're you're writing each week and you're getting through it. You're getting through what's in front of you at the time. So yeah, and to, and to look back on it, it made a lot of sense then. On November sixth, it's supposed to be Austin and Rock against Rikishi and Angle in the main event, but. Uh, the rock is mysteriously injured. So Austin has to work the main event as a handicap match against both Rikishi and angle. 
and triple H comes out after angle, but he clobbers Austin with a sledgehammer. Austin's bleeding again and left lying as the show ends and triple H reveals that he was the accomplice. So the man who benefited the most from this angle where they hit that motherfucker with a car wasn't Rikishi. It was triple H this, this is making more sense now. Well, you know how triple H got involved trying to do something with the, we had the, the mask guy and the leather jacket and all that shit to try to make people think that it was the rock. That was the masked one hiding and, and Rikishi and rock continually denying it. And then, and that was triple H that we used to do that shit. So when it came down, it just having to be Triple H. God damn it. It makes the most sense. Who, by the way, <laughs> was suggested at the very beginning that it was Triple H who hit fucking Austin. No, God damn no. And then we get into it. Shoes Hunter. It's Monday. Shit changes. All righty. I guess I should mention here that Rikishi's wearing a face mask around this time. Uh, I guess he had a broken nose or some sort of broken cartilage in his nose of some sort. Yeah. He had a surgery on his nose. It was broken. So he wore one of those, like the basketball players wear. Yeah. You no, know, it's just to kind of protect his forehead because the, the surgery going on there. Didn't want it to be messed up. At the end of the November 13th, Raw, Rock is fighting with Benoit backstage and Triple H and Rikishi drive a car and Rikishi hit Rock with a sledgehammer and the show goes off the air. I feel like this entire thing, like at this point, we should just have cars and sledgehammers for everybody. That wouldn't be fair. Only certain guys get sledgehammers and cars. If everybody had a sledgehammer in a car, then they wouldn't be special. Uh, on November 16th, SmackDown opens with Rikishi doing an interview and he's reversing the rock being part of it and now drops the racial angle about doing it for the Island boys, part of the angle and Foley asked the crowd if he should find suspend or fire Rikishi. And he then says he'd do none of those because Rikishi's punishment will be in the ring against the rock at the pay-per-view. And he kicks Rikishi out of the building. Let's get to survivor series. The rock beat Rikishi in 11 minutes and 19 seconds. It got three stars and Meltzer says much better than it figured to be going in mainly because like on SmackDown rock did a tremendous job selling his chest injury. I got to say pretty good match here. What'd you think? I thought it was a damn good match and they, Again, it came down to the chemistry that they had. They were very comfortable with each other, like each other. And when you get a selling rock in the ring, man, it's magic. He, he did a hell of a job with him. And Rikishi's a great worker. And I, I keep saying that, but it's, I think people discount and forget just how good of a big man he was. Let's talk about the Raw on December 12th. The show would open with Rikishi pinning The Undertaker. And this is in an era when you really don't see the undertaker lose a lot on TV, uh, but he did here. And of course there's some interference from Kurt angle, but still, uh, it's a big deal to get a win over the undertaker. I should mention too, that we're on our way here to, uh, the pay-per-view Armageddon. And this is an interesting Armageddon because we've got a hell in a cell with a ton of dudes 
Kurt Angle, The Rock, Steve Austin, Rikishi, Triple H, and The Undertaker. Six guys inside of Hell in a Cell. They go 32 minutes and 20 seconds. And this has got an interesting bump here. You know, we've already set a precedent with these Hell in the Cells. We've seen some spectacular matches with The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and of course, The Undertaker and Mankind. And here we want a big spectacle. So at 11 minutes and 30 seconds, Vince McMahon backs a truck to the ring. Patterson and Briscoe are with him and a worker attaches a chain to the door of the cage. And then the truck drove away, ripping the cage door off completely. And then Vince orders them to take the entire cage down. Foley's music plays out. They come. They're cutting promos back and forth. Eventually. You know, what's coming. Rikishi takes a giant bump off the cage and into the bed of the truck, which I guess is filled with sawdust. What the fuck is this? To my surprise, Meltzer gave it four and a quarter stars. You got all the stars in the world, but we're taking bumps off the cage into a truck bed filled with salt. What the fuck is this? Well, I hated it. Um, I guess a lot of people loved it. I hated it because to me, it fed into that. We've got, we've got to top ourselves with the Mick Foley bump. You know, we've got a the Shawn Michaels bump and the Mick Foley bump. What are we going to do? What's the next big bump we're going to do? It's hell in a cell. You got to have a big bump. Um, and I'll, I'll, we'll definitely hear about it if it wasn't him, uh, but I think it was Michael who suggested what if Rikishi took a big bump off the top of that son of a bitch, which is an interesting idea. My fear was how the hell do you get him up there? Cause that's a hell of a feat. That's hard for a, a guy that's in great shape, uh, to get up that damn hell in a cell and get up and work on top of that cage. So, Getting Rikishi on top of the cage to me was, well, that's hurdle number one. How the fuck do we get the big bastard up there? And then that's a, that's a scary bump. And the way that they wanted to do it was, was pretty much a backwards bump, which is scary as hell because you, you can't see where you're going and you're not turning your body. It's, it's, uh, everything had to be right. And they rehearsed it. They did it and, and all that shit. Everything was cool and, and it was all fine, but it was still to me scary. And junior was, was cool with it. And he, he went up and, and did it and everything was fine, but, and it was totally safe. I mean, we had the crash pads and all that other bullshit in there, but it was still scary just to me because you're falling backwards for shit, 18 feet. Fuck that. Rikishi said during the day when they did a rehearsal, they came out and used a big truck with no rails, but during the pay-per-view now it's a smaller truck with rails. And he said, when he saw that he was scared and allegedly right before he takes the bump, he looks at undertaker and says to tell his family that he loves them. Uh, hypothetically, I know this is challenging stuff to get through here. He's still got a, a, a low, a bad lower back. And he credits that to this bump because he was really, really sore, uh, following this. And he says that he could have wrestled a TV if they needed him, but he assumed that he would be able to, uh, 
rest the back a little while. And in storyline, you say that he had a lacerated kidney. What do you remember about the fallout from this back bump? Well, first of all, I didn't want him back on TV soon after that bump anyway. (laughs) When you do these incredible spots and you do these big stunts, then you should sell it. You spent, we spent so much time building up to that big spot. I feel that we should have taken a lot more time to allow it to be sold and make it mean something. That was my take on it. And when he took the bump, uh, yeah, I could see him injuring his back. Fuck that shit. It was, that's absolutely brutal. And he needed the time to take off and just kind of recoup because, Taking that bump, if you're a 150-pound man, much less a 400-pound man, fuck, that's that's going to jar you some. Hypothetically, to get a big bonus for taking a big spot like that? I would imagine he would. I could imagine them definitely you know, taking care of him on that. He's back on SmackDown on December 23rd. What I want to talk about, though, is the match on January 11th. It's a four-way where the winner... Gets the number 30 spot in the Royal Rumble. And Rikishi gets the win, which is cool. He pins Kane to earn that spot. Let's fast forward to the Royal Rumble, January 21st in New Orleans. He comes in at number 30 and he eliminates The Undertaker, but then he's eliminated by The Rock. Austin goes on to win the thing. Um, The next night, Kane would beat Rikishi by DQ when Haku interfered. And from here, Rikishi and Haku would form a bit of an alliance. What led to Haku coming back and why was he put with Rikishi? You know, it was just an opportunity. He had, you know, finished up with WCW. Was looking for something. I always had a hop, still do have a soft spot for Haku. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of color when it came to Haku. He, he really didn't cut a good promo and you couldn't really translate the monster that he is in real life. And well, actually in real life, he's one of the, the gentlest, nicest, kindest human beings you never want to meet. But when that you flip that switch, he's a machine and one of the baddest human beings walking the face of the planet. That was hard to translate for whatever reason on TV and to, to get that across and be able to sell him as that monster. Um, and this was just something, let's try something bringing Haku in. Let's talk about, uh, February 19th or I'm sorry, February 22nd on SmackDown. Rikishi would beat Jeff Hardy with the bonsai. And after the match, he gives Lita the stink face. Uh, you guys didn't do a lot of, uh, stink faces on the ladies. Any hesitation from Lita for signing up for this shit? I imagine everybody I think is going to have a little hesitation getting a big, uh, large, sweaty Samoan ass in your face, especially after, you know, he's been in there grappling a little while. And if you're watching him at the, in the catering and he's eating beans and brisket and shit, I'd definitely have second thoughts, but he was pretty, you know, if Rikishi liked you, he took care of you on the stink face. He'd use soap. Let's get to the new. Let's get to the no way out pay-per-view. Uh, he beats Matt Hardy in a match that, uh, is happening live on Sunday night heat. He gets the win by DQ though. Haku is going to be involved surprise. Um, 
he's, he's continuing to uh, tag with Haku around the horn, but they're doing some cool stuff. Like on March 5th, they teamed up to take on Kane and the undertaker. Of course, undertaker would choke slam Haku for the win. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about, uh, the match on March 8th, because rock is going to beat Rikishi and Haku with the rock bottom on Haku. And then Rikishi lays out the rock with a bonsai. And then he goes to give Deborah the stink face when Austin saves Deborah. During the brawl, Austin would break Rikishi's eardrum. Do you remember this? Yeah, he caught him. He caught him with a with one of them damn Austin fists and broke his eardrum. Just an just an accident, but I, I remember Rikishi coming back like holy shit. And it was a nasty one. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, May 7th, Austin would beat Rikishi with a stunner. Seven minutes and 18 seconds. Vince interferes and Rikishi drops the leg on him before the finish. Stephanie distracts the ref so Austin can low blow Rikishi. And then Austin and Foley are at ringside. Uh, But the show ends with Rikishi giving Stephanie the stink face. Talk about taking one for the team, huh? Oh, hell yeah. Get it in there. My God, I want to see those sweaty cheeks on her sweaty cheeks. Yeah, no hesitation there. So Dan McMahon's took that stinky face. So Rikishi all of a sudden here is a baby face again by doing this. Let's get to judgment day. May 20th, William Regal would beat Rikishi. Uh, it gets a star and a quarter. Uh, I want to mention here too, that, uh, JR says on commentary here that Rikishi is coming in with a shoulder injury and it turns out that's legit. He was injured in the Kurt angle match and he's going to be undergoing surgery with Dr. James Andrews, uh, after a belly to belly spot didn't go his way. What do you remember about Kurt angle injuring Rikishi here? Well, it was, I actually thought it was that damn angle slam that Rikishi came down wrong on, on his shoulder. And that's what kind of fucked up his shoulder, but he was kind of trying to work through it thinking, ah, it's just, it's just hurt. It's not a bad injury. And then he went through and they decided they needed to do some surgery on it, but it was just a fucked up, just a fucked up spot that they do all the time in every match. Then on this one night, it kind of went wrong and injured him. It was you know, not good. He's going to be out for a little while here with this shoulder surgery, but he's coming back on December 6, 2001 to deliver a stink face to Vince McMahon to a massive pop. I'm sure Vince McMahon, considering he even had his daughter do this, has no problem with this. No, and if Vince is going to do it, again, it goes back to he's willing to you know, have the shit dumped on him and get the stink face and do all the other crap. Then when he asks you to do it, he expects you to do it as well. Uh, at Royal Rumble 2002, Rikishi comes in at number one. He eliminates Big Boss Man, and he is eliminated by The Undertaker. He finds himself working with Kurt Angle a lot on the house shows through February, but March 1st, he's working in Tampa against Hulk Hogan. Hulk gets the win, but Hulk says that Rikishi broke his ribs during the match. Do you remember hearing about that? No, I don't. Is it one of those working stories? You think? I think it's one of those working stories that he wanted to sell Rikishi and yeah, yeah, brother. He broke my ribs. Yeah. There you go. Uh, the first brand extension draft, March 25th. Uh, Rikishi's going to be drafted to SmackDown with a 13th overall pick. The time off has probably hurt his stock a little bit. Um, 
He's really only working house shows for most of 2002. Did, did he fall out of favor or what do you think happened where he was in such a featured spot? And now it feels like the creative has just sort of moved on without him. Well, everything moves along. And when you're gone, he was, he was gone almost eight months, nine months, whatever it was. So being gone that long, you get out of the mix and it just takes time to get back in the mix and other stories are taking precedent. At judgment day, Rikishi and Rico beat Billy and Chuck and, uh, they capture the tag team titles here. It does feel like it's, uh, kind of thrown together. Uh, we know the storyline for Rico and Billy and Chuck. Why was Rikishi the right guy for Rico here? Because they work so damn well together. And for that very reason that I don't think anybody really would have called it, but they got along and what do you, what do you do with Rikishi? What do you do with Rico? I know let's make them a tag team. <laughs> it was a product of not having anything for either guy in the singles. They lose them back uh, on June 4th on SmackDown to Billy and Chuck. After that, he's back to the house shows, mostly through the entire summer of 02. He's working with test and Kurt angle. Uh, I do want to mention he got a win over Batista on August 8th. He got, uh, beat by Brock Lesnar on August 13th. Uh, and then he even finds himself teaming with John Cena to take on Batista and Reverend Devon on August 20th. That's a fucking thrown together match right there. I mean, look at all that. I'm looking forward to us talking about, uh, Reverend Devon and Deacon Batista someday. Lots of rumor and innuendo around there. Now, one of the things that you guys started to do is a kiss my ass match on a lot of the house shows. And, uh, Rikishi is working with Kurt Angle and Rico in a lot of those. And usually he winds up losing to Kurt Angle, but beating Rico. Uh, he's back on SmackDown on September 17th, teaming with Edge to lose to Los Guerreros. And he's in the World Tag Team title tournament, uh, tagging with Mark Henry in another losing effort to Los Guerreros in early October. Um, hypothetically, if you had to take a stink face from somebody in this match, who would it be? Don Marie, Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy version one, their tag team partners, Rikishi, or his tag team partner, Tori Wilson. So I got to take a stink face from one of them. Yeah. You're going to go with Matt Hardy uh, or Rikishi? Cause I know you're you not. said that, now, but this was version one version, Matt Hardy? version one. Hmm. I, I think I'd have to go Tori. The rebellion pay-per-view saw Rikishi beat Albert in a kiss my ass match. Meltzer would say it's a terrible match. Uh, Rikishi also beat John Cena, believe it or not on November 5th. Uh, but Cena would get the win back on January 2nd, 2003. This kiss my ass thing, man, this is all over the place. He's working them with everybody, including Jamie Noble on January 4th. What do you think that sounded like? Well, damn, baby, what you need to do, you need to get in there, get, get, get in here, get on in there, get you some of that ass, get some of that sweaty roll right down there, get down there by the butt crack and get on in there and get you some of that stink. Royal Rumble 2003, Kishi's in at number 20, doesn't eliminate anyone. He's thrown out by Batista. And uh, on April 8th, he comes out and complains that Piper attacked Jimmy Snuka years ago and then Sean O'Hare attacks Rikishi and holds him while Piper hits him with a coconut. Of course, 
This is based on the famous Piper's pit where Piper hits knuckle with a coconut boy back in 84. But why are you doing this here? It worked then. Yeah. I mean, Piper hate Piper hates them damn Island boys. This is what it is. And he feels they need coconuts in their heads. Rikishi works with Piper on SmackDown on April 22nd and Rikishi gets the win by DQ. Yeah. That that was worse than sucked. Let's go to backlash. April 27th. Sean O'Hare beats Rikishi in four minutes and 55 seconds. Only gets half a star. Feels fucking thrown together. My man, what happened to our boy? Well, no, it was, you know, some, you're trying to serve so many masters here. The idea obviously was to try and get Sean O'Hare and to make something out of him by putting him with Roddy Piper. The angle was to help O'Hare get over and then put O'Hare with Junebug. And it just, Sean didn't have it. And, and Sean was missing it and it was haphazard and, and no matter what kind of mustard and how you dressed it up, it wasn't going to be easy to swallow. Through most of May, he's teaming with Tajiri against the FBI, Chuck Palumbo, and Johnny Stamboli. Just house shows, occasionally velocity. He'd find himself teaming with Spanky against the Basham brothers. Uh, he's back on TV on the 24th of June. Matt Hardy version one beats him in round one of the U.S. title tournament. And then eventually he's reunited finally with Scotty Too Hotty after this match with Hardy and they start teaming together. Uh, and they're working on the house shows for most of the rest of the year, uh, against the Bashams and the FBI, but not a lot of TV time, but I can see why you would want them on the house shows. Let's talk about the Royal rumble 2004. He comes in at number 14, doesn't eliminate anybody. And he's tossed out by Randy Orton. And finally, he's back on TV with Scotty Too Hotty come February 3rd on SmackDown, and they defeat the Bashams to win the tag team titles. It does feel sort of stop and start and all over the place, uh, but it manages to get him a pay-per-view payday. He goes to No Way Out on February 15th in San Francisco, and they successfully defend their tag team titles and uh, beat the Bashams and Shaniqua, and they set up the stink face. The Bashams yank him off the rope backwards though. And, uh, eventually, you know, what's coming, but get the Samoan drop and the sit down splash. There's a three count. I don't know when we'll talk about Shaniqua and the Bashams again, anything interesting you can share with us about the Bashams or Shaniqua? Well, the Bashams were from OVW and, uh, Doug lived up in Indianapolis and, and the other one was Damaja from OVW, both great workers, but they just didn't have a whole lot of personality. And when, you know, you tried to do things with them, they did things wrestling the old fashioned way, which didn't impress Vince and he wasn't high on them. So they kind of went as far as they were going to go. And as far as Linda miles and, and Shaniqua, um, woof, man, great athlete. Incredible look, but she had two left feet and, and it just, no matter how hard you tried, I don't know that, that Linda was ever going to make it in the business. She ever got a gold medal. I have no idea if she ever got a gold medal. Uh, SmackDown February 24th, 
uh, APA would beat Rikishi and Scotty too hottie. And, uh, now they're back to working the, uh, the tag team loops. Let's get to WrestleMania 20 Rikishi and Scotty too hottie beat the Bashams and Haas and Benjamin and the APA to retain the world tag team titles. And it's a, a sudden death match. It only gets one star, but it is sort of surprising at least to me to see them retain. It almost feels like a, uh, a thank you for your service of sorts. I really expected the APA to win or Haas or Benjamin. Why do Rikishi and Scotty too hotty retain here at WrestleMania? It's a happy feeling, man. It's, it's a good feel good match. And there was no reason to beat him here. This, the match was put in the position and on the card for a feel good moment. Five weeks later on April 20th, they lose these belts on uh, SmackDown to, uh, Haas and Rico. And, um, I guess we should mention that we're coming to an end here. April 25th, five days later is his last match in the WWE. He and Scotty too hottie beat the Dudleys here. And then he's sort of put on the shelf. Wade Keller would write this in the July 24th edition of the torch. Rikishi was released last week following months of inactivity. He had heat with the office for taking what they considered to be an extraordinary amount of time off to recover from an injury. He sealed his own fate recently when he worked an indie show for his family member Alpha without telling the WWE office he had been under contract to WWE since 1991, making him one of the longest tenured wrestlers. And Rikishi has not been given permission to use his gimmick outside of WWE. He plans to use his last name of Fatu on the indie scene, but he may have to make several cosmetic changes if he decides to work for TNA. There's some speculation that WWE officials would legally challenge whether or not he can have his hair dyed, wear similar ring gear, or even perform the stink face. Since all of those are attributes that belong to a WWE created character. Indie promoters who have tried to book Rikishi are saying that he is asking for a high booking fee that they have found to be too expensive. However, other wrestlers are saying that it's wise for recently released talent to request inflated booking fees during their first few months on the indie scene, because there's usually a promoter who's willing to pay for it. Within a few months, most former WWE wrestlers lower their asking prices dramatically and begin to work more dates. Uh, Rikishi has said that he got his nose fixed during this time and he found out he had sleep apnea and he says, Johnny Ace and others felt like he was working the injury. Allegedly he gets the phone call with Johnny Ace and he says that, uh, he and others feel like he's working the injury and Rikishi's offering to send something from his doctor, but Ace acts like it's not enough. It's, uh, the decision's already been made. And when Rikishi tells him he'd rather talk to Vince instead, that doesn't work out. Uh, he never gets a chance to actually speak to Vince about it. And Rikishi says that Johnny Ace is a liar. And he should have given him a chance to talk to Vince. And he felt like, uh, when they were saying they didn't have a storyline for him, that was just bullshit. They knew they were going to fire him already. Chat me up. What you were in the office was their perception that he was, you know, working the injuries, milking the injuries is maybe a, a better phrase. Well, this is what I remember from it. When Rikishi went to go take time off, he was going to take time off due to injuries and he'd claimed that, you know, he needed to have whatever the surgery was and get it all taken care of every time that it would be asked. And again, I'm now giving you hearsay and I'm giving you, 
you know, what I heard because I didn't have any conversations with Rikishi directly about it. But every time that we would ask for when is Rikishi going to be back, it was always, well, we're waiting to get clearance from his doctor. We're waiting to get word from him that he's cleared and that he's ready to come back. And then it got to the point of, you know, for this type of a surgery, he should have been back weeks ago. And they said, well, let's, let us talk to your doctor. If the doctor says you need to be out longer, then okay. And then they said they, they never got any kind of correspondence either way, that he should have been out longer, that he was cleared to come back. And I think that's where a lot of the doubt came from. People saying, is he, is he working the injury? Is he just milking it for more time? Uh, I don't know because I didn't have any conversations with him about it. I was getting all my stuff third hand. But that's, that's the rap on it. And the rap was that he was just taking too long to come back from injuries and surgeries that they felt he didn't need to be out that long. And they weren't getting straight answers from him for his return. He would uh, pop up every now and again. I guess we should mention he worked a lot of indies for a long time. He's still got a school now. Um, he showed up very briefly for TNA in 2007, but left over uh, a disagreement about money. He's there with his family, uh, inducting Yokozuna into the Hall of Fame in 2012. Uh, pops up to beat Heath Slater in 2012, and then later on the 1000th episode. Uh, he would pop up again. And uh, I think in 2014, he was with too cool to defeat, uh, the three man band in a six man tag team match. And he finally goes into the hall of fame himself inducted by his son, the Usos in March of 2015. A lot of people were uh, disappointed that he didn't mention too cool in his induction ceremony. Do you think he should have? Yes. I definitely think that he should have because I think that too cool was a big part of his career and a big part of kind of taking him to a different level, uh, the entertainment side of it and just making him more entertaining, whatever the, the personal feelings were. And I don't know why he, he left them out, but yeah, they definitely should have been mentioned in there. In your opinion, is Rikishi a hall of famer? Yes, without a doubt. I think his career and his whole body of work and his contributions to the business make him a Hall of Famer. What do you think his legacy in professional wrestling is going to be? He had a thousand different characters, got almost every single one of them over. What do you think it'll be when it's all said and done? Probably the stink face. You know, that's what people remember. People are going to remember him as Rikishi and that ass hanging out and shoving it in people's faces. To me, it'll be dancing with too cool, the stink face, but probably number one will be the Usos when it's all said and done. Uh, I would agree with that too. And that's why I say, especially first contributions to the business because, uh, Jimmy and Jay, holy shit. Uh, what an incredible tag team of both of those guys, just great, great workers. So yeah, his overall contributions. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, those guys you know, they're, they're still super young guys. I think they're like 33 years old. So when you think about how many years they have left and what's possible for them, it really is pretty amazing what they've been able to do. And at such a young age, but I do, you know, when we, we sort of revisit all of this, it does feel like he was on the cusp 
of having a really, really big run because he, I mean, I know that it's something people look back on sometimes and, and dismiss, oh, they were dancing and Scotty's doing the worm. It's whatever, but it was so over in 2000, you know, the people's, I mean, nobody could compare with the rock, but you take the rock out. You could argue they were the most overact. And then that fucking storyline. I mean, that derailed everything. Did it not? No, I don't think it derailed everything. I think that it just was a, it was a detour. It was a turn in the road is, is all it was. You never would have look if we didn't try it, people could be second guessing it all day long. And that's the luxury of, of hindsight, man. You can see everything for what it is after the fact. Want to give him that shot and, and hopefully make him a, you know, that big star on his own. And that didn't, uh, you know, didn't take place. But again, I think that he had a solid career and he had some solid contributions. Well, you can have a solid career with the all new WWE 2K19. You can experience WWE at a premium level with jaw dropping graphics, heart pounding excitement, and thousands of new gameplay animations. With the new WWE 2K19 available now, you can play as WWE superstars of today like Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman, even The Rock, Andre the Giant, and more. Over 200 playable WWE superstars. It is insane amount of dream matches that you can put together here and, uh, just have fun creating, man. Do what we did head over to WWE.2K.com and purchase your copy today. That's WWE.2K.com. This is the game that everybody is going to be talking about. Don't miss it. And don't miss next week, Bruce. I'm looking forward to this. We're covering judgment day, 1998. This should be interesting, huh? Well, yes, it definitely should. It's been a long time since I have watched that. So, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to getting on the network and checking that out for myself. It is a horrible shit show of a pay-per-view. You're going to hate it, but I'm going to love holding your feet to the fire. And there's so much other stuff going on during this time. I can't wait to talk about it, but the show after that might be our last show. It's when Hunter married Stephanie and I thought we killed that. No, we're still doing it. I don't, I don't recall that. Uh, well, don't, don't be hitting me with the Eric Bischoff's, uh, sharpen your knives. What does go- what Eric Bischoff say? I don't recall, man. I don't recall what he doesn't recall, but I know that he doesn't recall quite a bit. And uh, I'm hoping that you don't try to pull that shit on me because I'm just going to start cussing right away. Why you got to cuss at me, man? Well, it's just what I do. It's like my gimmick here on the show. Okay. And by the way, we're working lots of gimmicks on Patreon right now. We want to encourage you to check it out. Bruce is going live, doing some Q and A's, making some calls on the show. We've got special guests. You had a special interview segment with abyss. We had Gerald Briscoe join us and we review lots of other stuff that we've never covered here. And we've got some very special stuff planned for later in the month. I've got, uh, something that. No one has requested, but I'm requesting, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but ECW, ECW, I'm going to make you watch a whole ECW show. It's going to no. be great. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Yes, you are. Um, did you, did you see me and Shivani getting coffee in New York? I that did. Was... <laughs> Tony Shivani, Tony Shivani says, Hey, you want to go get some coffee? It's only a couple of blocks down here, three miles later. 
and I needed oxygen by the time I got there in addition to the coffee. He's doing DDPY, so he's trying to show off right now. And we're going to show off next week for you uh, with Judgment Day. We're going to show you how fun a bad show can be next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.